0: Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As you're turning, I want to share greetings from uh, Brother Jim Price. I talked to him, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday uh, this week. They were in Manitoba, and uh, he wanted to ask me to greet the folks here. He also, uh, because they've been so busy and on the road, hadn't had a chance, But and I think he sent a letter as well, but he asked me to thank the church for the... Uh, the Christmas gift uh, that we sent said it was a great blessing and a help. Be praying for uh, Brother Jim as they uh, continue travels and raising support. And I wanted to share that greeting with you. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. going to talk about four proofs of God's love. Four proofs. Now, there's a whole lot more than that. I was talking with... Brother Colton, uh, for a few moments this afternoon, we're talking about math. Uh, That's a a weird Sunday afternoon discussion, mathematics. And we're talking about uh, calculus. That's an even weirder Sunday afternoon. Amen, Brother Ahmad? That's a weird afternoon discussion. And I was explaining a couple things and talking about proofs. And uh, I hated proofs. I hate proving anything in mathematics because when I did math... My brain isn't wired like everybody else's brain. Your brain works, and my brain doesn't work. And uh, my circuits are wired all different. And uh, I can find the answer, but I don't follow the same path you you followed to get it. And uh, I used to go back and forth with my math teacher over some of my proofs. Uh, And I would say, look, is my answer right or not? Yes, but you couldn't have got the answer the way you did it. I said, look, did I get the answer right or not? And we would go back and forth, and I, I probably should have been a little more uh, submissive to her. But uh, I I didn't like showing proofs. God likes to show proofs. And by the way, He proves every day His love for you. His mercies you every morning. Amen. Every morning when you see the sun come up. Teenagers, did you know that that thing, the, the, the bright thing up in the sky, it actually disappears at night and it comes back up early in the morning? Uh, it's not always in the sky, but when it comes up every morning, uh, it's a reminder that he rose from the dead A reminder of his love for us we, we could look at hundreds and thousands of proofs tonight But I just in this one little passage in Ephesians chapter 2 I want to take a few moments uh, Just to enjoy uh, some time together in his word uh, Just to relish in what God's done uh, Just to praise him, just to worship him tonight Look with me here, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 But God Who's rich in mercy for his great love, forwith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Lord, my heart tonight, my desire is that we would worship you and glorify you this evening. Lord, you're worthy of our praise.
1: Lord, we get a few
0: glimpses into heaven you've given us in your word. Lord, John would have written much more if you would have allowed him, but the few glimpses that you allowed John to give us, Lord, it seems every time I see through the windows of heaven, I see worship and I see praise. And Lord, tonight I pray as you taught the disciples to pray, would you make it a little bit like heaven on earth tonight? God, would you help us to worship you a little bit tonight the way we will worship you forever in heaven. Lord, someday we will bow before the throne and cry out with the angels and cry out with the saints of God. Worthy is the Lamb. Lord, tonight you're already worthy. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Help us tonight, Lord, to direct our worship and our praise to you as we look at these proofs of your love for us. Help me, Lord, to preach you right your truth. God, may you be glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen. What would God have to do to prove his love for you? What would it take for us to say, I know, I know without a doubt that God loves me. And w- would it take more money, would it take better health, would it take greater happiness in your life, more comfort, a better job, a bigger house, a new car, what would it take? March 31st, 1995, I think it was, I think that's right, maybe ninety four. My wife will correct me later. That was my birthday. By the way, there's just a few shopping days left to my birthday. Be aware of that. (laughs) But my wife and I had been dating. We had our first date December 7th, maybe, or 8th. And then this is March 31st. It was a little over three and a half months later. I met her that day as I was going out to go to work. And she gave me a cupcake, it was a Otis Spunkmeyer, I think, Uh, chocolate, double chocolate, I think, chocolate chip, chocolate cupcake. She had a candle on it. Uh, You know, she couldn't bake a cake in her room, so she bought a cupcake. And did you give me something else that day? I don't remember. I don't think so. She's a cheapskate. And uh, she gave me that cupcake (laughs) and as a birthday gift and that day. As I was driving to work, as I got in my 1977 Ford Granada piece of garbage, and as I was going to work, me and my buddies, I looked over at the fellow who was my best friend in Bible college. His name's Jeremy. I talked to him just a couple weeks ago. It was his his birthday, actually, a couple weeks ago. I looked over at him, and I said, Jeremy, I'm going to marry Carrie. I'm going to... I'm going to ask her to marry me at Christmas, and we're going to get married next summer. And he said, does she know this? I said, no, but I'm going to tell her. Now, when my wife heard that story later, she decided it must have been the cupcake. So, so girls, that's the secret. you got to give the cupcakes. But the cupcake had nothing to do with it. Too many times, all the little things that we think we want from God, they have nothing to do with God's love. But I want us to look tonight at some things that do have everything to do with the love of God. Everything God does. Everything God does, He does for a specific purpose. He he does nothing without cause. He does nothing without purpose. His efforts to mankind are always... If we look in the the account of creation in Genesis all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see that God is always dealing with man to show man his love. Always. He he loves us. He, He does nothing by chance. God does nothing in desperation. There's a wonderful old song, and part of that song goes of you know, God searched through heaven looking for God didn't search through heaven. I I, I like the song. I, I understand the premise. Salvation was not a desperation move. God didn't have to scramble and back in the, the back on oh, no, man, what am I gonna do now? Man sin, where do I throw the ball? No, it was planned from eternity. It always was. God knew. So everything God does and everything God has ever done is for Because he loves man God never throws anybody away For a little over a year now God's put a burden on my heart I'm going to have to do something about it pretty soon But God's burdened me to, to do something that is pretty outside my normal wheelhouse. But I'm, I guess the Lord's going to, I'm either going to do it or God's going to kill me probably. But God's burdened me to write a book with that premise of don't throw them away. We live in a culture today, Christian culture, where we give the gospel out. And we try to reach people. In so many churches, if that person we reach is not the instant Christian that we think they ought to be, if they don't look the way we think they ought to look and talk the way we think they ought to talk and do everything exactly the way we think they ought to in a couple of weeks, we want to toss them away and get started again. God doesn't do that. I love the story in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah went down to the potter's house, and he looked through the window and watched the potter as he worked at the wheel, and he watched as the potter broke the vessel, but he didn't throw the clay away, he simply started again. Christian we need to understand the love of God that God doesn't throw you away he doesn't throw me away he desires to use us and to mold us and to make us now does that mean that we're I'm going to be able to do everything God has wanted me to do there are times that because of some brokenness that I can't be all that God had wanted would want for me but that doesn't mean God throws me away I love the picture there of Jeremiah as he looks In the potter's house, we look at God's love so often through what happens to us daily. We look at it as, wow, something good happened today. God loves me. Oh, man, today was a bad day. Brother Maud fell on the stairs. Boy, it's a bad day. God must not love me. I'm a little worried. My enemy is now attacking you. We have the same enemy, the stairs. We look at, oh, this is good. Okay, I have a good day. This is bad. I've got a good day. Most of you probably know this. My family knows this for sure. If anyone asks me how I'm doing, what do I say, Rebecca? How are you? I say, beautiful. I'm beautiful. Exactly. Now I'm not beautiful. But I've learned not to gauge how I'm doing according to what's happening in my life. God loves me. When I fall down the stairs, He still loves me. When I... When I disobey Him, He still loves me. We look for God's love in the things that happen to us. And we say, God, why are you doing that? We question God. God answers back many times, I believe. Not audibly, but He answers back because I love you. Because I love you. I want to take just a few moments tonight and I I don't think I'll be lengthy this evening but I want to share four thoughts four proofs of God's love and then I want to shift gears just a little bit for just a couple very small points into the message. Number one, we find this proof in our text. We're going to be looking just in Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5. Would you look there with me? Ephesians 2 verse 4 and 5 But God Who's rich in mercy for his great love for he loved us even when we were dead in sins. Hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. Are you saved? Proof number one. He quickened me. He quickened me. He made me alive. When I met Brother Bonnie ten and a half years ago. Is that right? Brother Bonnie was a dead man walking. He was dead. He was lost. He grew up with a religious past, but he was lost. He believed the Bible, but he was lost. He believed who Jesus was, but he was lost. But just a little over 10 years ago, God took a dead man and he made him alive. Your testimony tonight, Christian, if you're a born-again child of God, is you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins, but He quickens you. When I was in grade seven, I came home from school one day. I walked down the hallway of our home, down the hallway past the bathroom, past the laundry in the hallway, and my room was on the left, my sister's room, my room. I walked out of my room. When I walked out of my room to go back down the hallway, I looked, and there in the middle of the hallway was a tennis ball. Now I'm a hillbilly. I guarantee you there was no tennis racket, brother, within 100 miles of my house. There was not a tennis ball there because I played tennis. There was a tennis ball on my floor because I had a dog, Boston Terrier. And I looked down the hallway Through the living room into the kitchen and laying in the kitchen floor was my dog, stone cold asleep. (sighs) How many have ever heard a Boston Terrier snore? They sound worse than Pastor Rice snoring and I'm pretty bad. He was snoring. He was out of it. And in my little juvenile 12-year-old brain, I hatched a plan. I thought, how cool would it be to line up that tennis ball? kick the tennis ball down the hallway, hit the dog, wake him up. I mean, that's, that sounds fun, doesn't it? So that's my plan. So no shoes on in the house. You know, I ran back to kick the tennis ball, and I kicked it about three inches before you got to the tennis ball on the ground. My big toe snapped in half. The bone broke and the bone went through the toenail. Blood began to forcefully. Colton, you having you haven't trouble yet? I know it's he's a he's very visionary when he hears. Blood is spraying and I began to scream. My loving mother, she's probably watching still. Uh, she yelled at me to be quiet. <laughs> she might have even said a, a real foul word like "shut up." I don't know what she said, but she's. What's wrong with you? Be quiet. What are you screaming about? My dad was on the roof of our house. He was working on fixing the roof on the back porch. My dad heard my scream through the roof and he knew something was horribly wrong. My dad jumped off the roof. I don't mean he took the ladder, he jumped off the roof, came in the house, came in, and there I am blood squirting. They took me to the hospital. They had to kind of almost kind of set my toe a bit, and they had to cut the rest of the toenail off. And then they had to stitch because the bone went through the toe. They had to stitch the quick, what we call the, the meat underneath the nail. They had to put stitches across that. Now, there's a reason they call that quick, there's no doubt. There's some feeling there. And I remember that my dad holding me down. The nurses holding me down. And that was just to get the needle near me, Brother Armada. I hate needles. And they're stitching that quick. It's very much alive. You and I were dead, in Christ, dead without Christ. But he made us very much alive. How do I know God loves me? A lot of reasons, but I can look here in this passage and tell you tonight that God loves me because He quickened me. He made me alive. He gave me spiritual life. He's quickened us in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Letter A there, He quickened us in Christ Jesus. It's an expression of His mercy and His love towards us in verse 4. We were dead in sins in verse 5. We were hell bound. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you... And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've been made alive. I like the way Matthew Henry says it. Matthew Henry, a commentator of years gone by. Matthew Henry said grace is the soul. Grace in the soul is a new life in the soul. As death locks up the senses, seals up all the powers and faculties, So does the state of sin. As to anything that is good, grace unlocks and opens all. And enlarges his soul. Observe, a regenerate sinner becomes a living soul. Praise God for that. He lives a life of sanctification, being born of God. He lives in the sense of the law, being delivered from the guilt of sin by pardoning and justifying grace. He hath quickened us together with Christ. Our spiritual life, Mr. Henry said. Our spiritual life results from our union with Christ. It is in Him that we live. As Jesus said, because I live, He shall live also. How do I know He loves me? From this passage, because He made me alive. He gave you life. He gave you spiritual life. John three sixteen For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can we question the love of God? When He said, I love you this much. Oh, I wanted more, God. He gave you everything. He gave everything that you and I might be alive. That we might have life eternal. Greater love hath no man than this, the Bible says in John 15, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, but God, and I love this verse, probably one of my top ten favorite verses in the Bible. But God committeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while I was getting better. Not once I became spiritual. Not once I cleaned up my life. But while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. I didn't have to improve myself. Matter of fact, it wouldn't have made a difference if I did. I didn't have to prove to him I was lovable. Why? I'm not lovable. He decided to love me. He loved me as I was. He died for the ungodly. By the way, he died for those that we wouldn't die for. When you think of the, the most evil and vile people, in our world and in the past, we think of people like Timothy McVeigh. Became popular this last year. And uh, pop culture. Can I tell you that as wicked and vile as the crimes that Mr. McVeigh committed, he, I'm sorry, Mr. Dahmer and Mr. Mc, Mr. McVeigh bombing the tower. Uh, Mr. Dahmer who so I was thinking of, who, Killed and ate people and stored body parts, as wicked as all that was. God said, I I'm, I want to make available to him salvation, I had you trusted Christ? Charles Manson. The vilest person you can think of in the world that we call, that, pff, that's wicked. You know what God says? I love them. I love them. He wants to make them whole. He wants to quicken them. We live in a system that knows nothing of love. We know a perverted understanding of love. But I want to assure you tonight that God loves you. And He doesn't love you because He wants to get something from you, He doesn't love you because He's he's trying to uh, earn something. He just loves you. And His love isn't temporary, it's everlasting. It's forever and forever and forever and forever. How many of you have ever eaten something that you love so much, you ate so much of it, it made you sick, and you didn't want to eat it again? You ever been there? What was it, Josh? My food? (laughs) I was a boy. I I like sauerkraut. How many of you like sauerkraut? We made sauerkraut when I was a boy. I like sauerkraut. I think sauerkraut's awesome, Mike. It's good stuff. I still like it. But as a young boy, about nine years old, I decided to eat a whole jar of sauerkraut. And I ate a whole jar of sauerkraut. I should have good gut bacteria the rest of my life, Brother Krim. I was sick. I was real sick. I mean sick, sick, sick. I didn't want to eat sauerkraut for a long time. God never gets sick of you. He loves us. With an everlasting love, First John four: Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God dwelleth. God dwelleth with him, and he and God. And we know and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. God's proven his love through his Son Jesus Christ. Number two, the number two proof we find here in this passage quickly tonight. Which we find in verse 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Proof number two tonight He raised me up. He raised me up. He raised you up. You know, remember when Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross, all of my sin. All of your guilt and my guilt and your sin and my sin was placed on him. All of it. I don't believe for one second that Jesus made a limited atonement. Those that would try to pervert the gospel to say that Jesus only died for a certain portion of sin. Can I tell you that if that were true, then Jesus Christ is a liar. And we ought to burn this book. Because he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. If the Bible doesn't mean that, if, if it doesn't mean everybody, if there's someone who, no, he didn't die for your sin, he died for yours and not for yours, then God's a liar. Mm-hmm. And he's a charlatan, and he can't be trusted. Rather, he died for all. He bore all sin, every bit of it. All of sin, it was, it was on him on the cross. It was, hold on. When he came off of that cross, was buried with him. Was buried with him. I remember, I believe it was my grandmother's funeral, my dad's mom, that I preached back in '90. It was '98. My wife and I had been married a few years. I think my memory's right. I remember at the funeral, my my cousins, I remember them all taking a note and folding that note up, placing that note in the casket to be buried with her. Can I tell you when Jesus was placed in that tomb, your sin was placed there with him. The sin that he bore on Calvary, he took to the tomb. So pastor what's the big deal about that? What's the big deal about Jesus taking my sin to the tomb? <laughs> because he didn't stay there. He rose again. He he rose again, meeting that sin was put ever behind Him. In the book of Psalm, chapter 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, Amen. nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. Look at verse 6 again in our text. It says, and hath raised us up together. And made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that phrase, hath raised us up together. Can I tell you, those that know the English language better than I do, will tell you that that phrase there uh, is something that is past tense. Not he's going to, but he already did. He hath raised us up. So, preacher, when did that happen? When did he raise me up? Three days and three nights. After they placed the body of our lovely Lord on the ground. When he rose again, you were raised with him. I was raised with him. He was raised incorruptible. Guess what, Christian? I was raised incorruptible in him. I know he loves me. I see the proof of his his love. He, He quickened me. He made me alive. He raised me up with him. If you will, I was nailed to that cross with Him. I was buried with Him. I was risen with Him. He brought within the redemption of our new creation. I'm not just safe from hell. And I praise God I'm safe from hell. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But can I tell you, can I tell you tonight that salvation is not just fire insurance from hell. I, I'm glad that I, there's no chance that I can go to hell. I had, I had two people yesterday tell me to go to hell. Brother well, mud, I had one person tell me to do things that were physically impossible. I had, had some very rude people yesterday. But two different people told me to go to hell yesterday. That was their words. Now, I didn't say it. I, I, I Here's what I said. I said, God bless you. <laughs> that was my answer as I was trying to get my gospel track. But what I wanted to say was I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you want me to go there, but I can't go. I, I am saved from hell, but I am saved to heaven. I am raised up. And Christian, let's not forget what we have. Let's worship him. Let's praise him for what he's done. As we see his love, I'm made alive. I am risen with him. What a wonderful thing. He's forgiven me. He's pardoned me. He's regenerated me. He's adopted me. He's cleansed me. He's given me a home in heaven. He's with me. He's never leave me, never forsake me. And one day he's going to come back and say, hey, come up here. And I'm going. How wonderful. I'm risen with him. All of this is done in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Why do we live like we're part of this world? Why do we live like the people of earth? When Carrie was giving birth to Rebecca, it was a very, very traumatic experience. It was very difficult. It was very dangerous few moments. The doctor came, tried one last procedure, and she told me, she said, Mr. Rice, if this doesn't work right here, right now, on this bed in this room, I am doing emergency cesarean section. It was some tense moments. I I deal with tense moments with humor. Maybe you've understood that about me. But our doctor, she walked in and she had this, you would almost thought COVID was in the air. She had a mask on. She had this plastic shield on. She had rubber gloves on. She had her hands up like this. And she was a, I can't remember what nationality she was. Maybe East Indian, I think, lady, little lady. She came in, and she looked like some kind of alien creature because of all the stuff she had on. And she walked in like this, and uh, quietly to the two nurses that were with me, I said, take me to your leader. Uh, they thought it was funny. She didn't think it was funny at all. Uh, Rebecca thought it was funny. She was laughing in the womb, but they didn't think it was funny. Carrie was punching me. but Now, we joke about, you know, oh, not of this world. You know, something extraterrestrial. I think they've been shooting down on UFOs here the last couple of weeks. Anyway, you and I, we're not of this world. We are not terrestrial. We are extraterrestrial. We belong to heaven. I've already been raised up in Him. There's no reason for me to live like I belong. I, I, I've been made an heir of God, Join heirs with Christ. Eternity's my time frame. So many things we could go into tonight, but we see the love of God in Him raising us up. Number three here in our text. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. Then in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. And His kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Number three tonight, we see here that He shows Grace. He shows kindness. Now, if I let Brother Eric be God tonight, his wife would never hear the end of it if he got to be God. But if Brother Eric were God, and somebody came up and smacked him in the face, I mean just. Eric's a mild-mannered and genteel <laughs> gentleman. But I have a feeling if you pop Brother Eric in the face one too many times, he's not going to show grace and kindness. There's going to be a point. Like, like Popeye. How many of you remember Popeye? Uh, Mark, you said your dad said Popeye was your favorite. That was my favorite cartoon as a kid. Chicken. Popeye's chicken. That's my favorite chicken now. But Popeye was my favorite cartoon as a kid. And Popeye had the phrase, I've stood all I could stand and I can't stands no more. And he'd be pushed just to the edge until finally he was ready to fight. Let's just be real honest. If you were God and you had to deal with you, There would come a point, the point would have come a long time ago, where I would have said, Brian Rice, you're done. And yet God shows me grace. He shows me kindness. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace, getting something good I do not deserve. Kindness, why? Not because of who you are but because of who He is. How wonderful here He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. Not just here. Here's a little bit of grace. The exceeding riches of His grace in kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Here we see His love for the present and all for the future. It's not I want to give you something now, but not later. He wants to give us all throughout our relationship with Him and through all eternity, grace, kindness. God shows His love every day. Every day. It is of His mercies that we are not consumed. Mr. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, that preached during the Great Awakening, Mr. Edwards who typed out or wrote down, not typed, he he wrote down his messages He was very poor of scene. He would write his messages out word for word. He was not an orator. He was not a great public speaker. He would write out word for word his message. And it said of Mr. Edwards that he would bend his head where he was face to face, probably probably have macular degeneration, some sort of vision problem, as he would get very close to his notes and he would read them. It said in a monotone voice, Brother Armand, wasn't about the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. It was about the Holy Spirit of God that led Mr. Edwards to preach the Holy Book of God. Amen. And as Mr. Edwards would preach his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, people, not at the invitation during the service, sinners would crawl on their hands and knees to the altar, begging God to save them. But in his message, he said that we are as a sinner, we are but held by the very spider thread above the very pit of hell at any moment could be plunged headlong. Can I tell you that's where I was? but that's not where I am. Now I have His grace. Now I have His kindness. How wonderful that is. How wonderful that we have the proof of his love. By the way, that grace and kindness speaks of safety, speaks of assurance. I've been in some dangerous places. I've been in some places that were very, very dangerous. I joke with people once in a while, some of the worst parts of Edmonton. I've been in playgrounds that were more dangerous than Edmonton. I've I've been in some scary situations. I've been in some dangerous situations. But those times I've been in dangerous situations, it was because and while I was sharing the gospel. And I'll be real honest with you. There's never been a time when I've been in a dangerous place sharing the gospel when I've been fearful. Probably because I'm just a a dummy. But I I just knew I'm supposed to be here The Lord knows If he wants me here Then I'm supposed to be here I remember going in a building And as I went to go in the building The police In the police station At the bottom of the building Looked at me and said Don't go in here If you go in that elevator And you do not come back Chicago police They told me We will not come look for you We don't care what happens to you After you go in that door We're not coming up there Just so you know you're on your own. So, no, "I'm good. Why? Because I like dangerous situations? No, because I needed to share the gospel in that building. Can I tell you that God's grace and kindness are enough? Does that mean that I'm always going to be safe? No. But it means I'll always be where God wants me to be. I'll always be in his will as long as I trust him. By the way, Peter, when he was crucified upside down, he was in God's hand. So a pastor, hold on a minute. That's pretty dangerous. That's not a good thing. He glorified God even in death. We get so hung up on our perceived safety and our perceived enjoyment of life that we forget that it's about God's glory. God's blessing. We see His kindness. We see His grace. The Bible says in Jude, now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. By the way, let me me stop here just a moment. This isn't the message. But just in case there's anybody here that's struggling with this understanding of eternal security, if you think that you can lose your salvation, then you think God is not able. The Bible tells us right here, he's able. Now, what does it say about God if he's able to keep you and he doesn't? Either he's a liar or he's evil. True? One of those things has to be true. So for me to believe, I'd have to throw away so many doctrines, but for me to believe that I could lose my salvation... I've got to either accept that God is evil or God is a liar. That's it. There, there, there's, you can't rectify it any other way. He's able. He's able to keep me from falling, to present me faultless before the presence of glory, with exceeding joy. Jude 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Number four. Lastly tonight, verse number 10 in our text Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 For we are His workmanship Created in Christ Jesus unto Good works Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in Them Number four tonight as we see the next proof Of God's love for us He created you not only did he create you, but he created you for good works. Good works. For good works. I, I I love this thought. And number one, we're his workmanship. We're his workmanship. I haven't for years, but years ago I used to build, I used to do some bowyering. How many of you know what bowyering is? Brother Darren's done some bowyering. Uh, I, I used to build longbows and I, several years ago now, probably 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe 19 years ago, I decided to build one for my dad and I didn't use fiberglass, I used God's fiberglass. Some of you know what God's fiberglass is, bamboo. And I I did a tri-lam bow, and I built it out of the front of the bow, the side when you pull the bow, the side people see facing away from you, was raw bamboo. And then two other laminations glued together in a coal and a form, and uh, after I glued it into the shape I wanted, then I, I cut it down to shape and profiled and sanded, and I finished that bow. I created it. I crafted it. I wrote, I think on the top, bottom limb or top limb, I can't remember, facing the person holding the bow, two letters inside of quotation marks. A P and an A. How many of you know what that stands for? Paul. That's what I call my dad most of the time. I call him Paul. One time we're all soul winning together 20 years ago in a church van in West Virginia. And I said something, I called my dad Paul. As I got out, one of the men said, Marcus, is your first name Paul? I always thought your first name was Marcus. Uh, but I wrote Paul on that bow. I, I created it. It was crafted by me. It was a gift I gave to my dad. Now, most likely that bow will never be worth millions of dollars. Uh, because I'm not a sought-after bowyer. I'm not a well-known crafter of bows because I made it has no intrinsic value to anyone else except my dad. However, there are some things in this world that are much more valuable because who made them? Many years ago, I was sent a gift from a man that I never I've still never met. A man that I had helped with something I met online and he decided to send me a gift. He was driving through the area where I grew up and general area probably within 10 miles as the crow flies across the river from where my family live and he stopped in a little country store, little everything store, gas station. Uh, Lois knows what I'm talking about, little general store of everything. They don't exist much up here, but little place, probably half the size of this building inside, and just a little bit of everything. You go in, you can get a few things, and that's it. In the back of the building, there was a, a little wood-burning stove, a little pot-belly stove, and some chairs where you'd go and sit and play checkers, that kind of place down south. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but anyway, they... There in that area near the wood-burning stove and the checkers, there was an old tub. I think it was an old uh, bin of some kind, maybe a vegetable bin, maybe an old barrel actually come to think of it, he told me, but there's a bunch of just old things in there. And there was an old knife, an old hunting knife. And this guy saw that old hunting knife in this little general store and this little town near where he knew that I was from that area and he thought I want to do something nice to pay him back he paid a few bucks maybe 20 30 maybe 50 bucks I don't remember he bought this old knife it was in a ratty sheath that was falling apart the knife was pitted and old and he sent it to me as a gift and I I was overwhelmed that's really neat that's really awesome really cool old knife and thanks to the wonders of the internet and the interwebs, I began to look, and there was a name on the knife. The name was Morseth. I began to Google Mr. Morseth. I began to look for the knives that he created that looked like that, and I began to learn something that caused me to message that man and say, Sir, I cannot accept this gift. I, I need to mail it back to you. I realized that that knife, although it was rough and although it was a little ugly and although the sheath was falling apart, it was very valuable. Not because of its condition. It was very valuable because who made it. And I told the man, I said, sir, I'm sending this back to you. I said, I can't accept this gift. It's worth a lot of money. And he said, if you mail it back to me, I'm going to send it back up. He said, I bought it for you. I only paid whatever it was for it. He said, it's yours. And I told him, I said, sir, I'm not going to sell it. I said, I'll keep it uh, as a reminder of your love and you know, appreciation the gift he sent me. Several years later, a friend who's a custom knife maker stole it from my house and made it look brand new again, and his wife made a custom sheath for it. That didn't add value to the knife, but the value as far as the world's concerned for that knife is because of the man, the famous man that made it. That's its value. Christian, can I tell you your value? You were created by him. The master. The master made you. The creator of all things. I have his love because he signed me, his signature. He made me, he made you in his image. I was made by God. I was his workmanship. I've been created in Christ Jesus. And notice the phraseology here in Ephesians 2, unto good works. Created, by the way, means you didn't just happen. It was purposed. It was planned. I was created in Christ for a specific purpose. I need to find out what that is. Ephesians 4.11 in our text, or just a few verses away, a couple chapters away, says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has something for you. He made you. Your worth is because of Him, not because of you. These good works we have mentioned here have been preordained or foreordained by God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 says, This is a faithful say. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I want to make a statement. If you have a pen, I encourage you to write it down. I believe a a powerful statement about this truth. Notice in our text here, we were created. Christian, you and I were created to walk in these good works. Don't miss that. You and I were created to walk in these good works. So listen to this statement. They await your doing. God God created you to walk in those works. Can I tell you that they're waiting on you? They await you to do them. They await me to do them. By the way... When I do obey the Lord Jesus Christ, when I follow Him, when I honor Him in my life, I am realizing every step, every work, everything I do is a reminder, God loves me. God loves me. I've got a dear friend who got saved out of serious alcoholism and drunkenness and drugs and horrible, horrible life. Him and his wife, before they got saved, they used to get high on drugs and get angry at each other and shoot at each other with pistols in the house. And I don't mean they were pretending. I mean, they were trying to kill each other. But they would get so high on drugs that amazingly, God spared them. They didn't. Several times, they tried to kill each other. Somewhere tonight, Brother Hicks is standing behind the pulpit like this. Preaching the word of God. Praise the
1: Lord.
0: As an evangelist in the southern U.S. Amen. Every time he opens the Bible. And lays on the pulpit as a reminder. He used to be laying down lines of cocaine. He used to be laying down empty beer bottle after empty beer bottle. He used to be picking up the pistol and trying to kill his dear wife. Praise the Lord. God created him and ordained him to walk in good works. It's a reminder, Christian. I give that example because it's easy for you to see and and see the difference. But I hope tonight you understand that the difference is in you as well. It's in you as well. So, Pastor, I I was never a drunkard. I I was never a drug addict. I never tried to kill my wife. Well, maybe I tried to kill my wife. But I, I, I didn't do those things. Remember, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive. He didn't just make you alive to make you a scarecrow to do nothing. God made you alive unto good works. And they're waiting for you to do them. Just a couple of thoughts as we close here tonight. How do we walk in good works? How do we walk in good works? Very, very quickly. By showing gratitude for redemption. By showing gratitude for redemption. Giving Him praise for what He's done for us. For dying on the cross, forgiving our sin, placing us in the heavenlies. What if you were unsaved on your way to hell tonight? That's where you'd be without Jesus Christ. How do we walk in good works? By showing gratitude for redemption. Next, number two, by surrendering to sanctification. By surrendering to sanctification. I shared the story of my big toe breaking in half. They had to stitch it up. I didn't want them to stitch it up. I didn't want to surrender to have it stitched up. My dad and a bunch of nurses had to hold me down so they could stick needles in me and then they could sew me up. But it needed to be done. It had to be done. You and I need to surrender to letting God set us apart and sanctify us for His purpose the growth process 2 Peter Peter chapter 1 verse 5 I'm not going to turn there tonight but virtue on knowledge on temperance, on patience on godliness, on brotherly kindness on love, we need to surrender to that process number 3, how do we walk in good works I'm going to close with this thought tonight by serving by serving in all areas of good works what is it God wants you to do? Not what is it God wants the pastor to do? Not what is it God wants your spouse to do or your or your child to do or or the Colton to do. What's God want you to do? Hey, teenager, what's God want you to do? Oh, I'm just a teenager. <coughs> David, a teenager, walked down in the valley of Elam. And said, you will not defy my God. He affected his whole country. His whole country. Young married couple. What's God want you to do? Older couple here tonight. Maybe your kids are grown. What's God want you to do? What is it God wants you to do? Has he set something aside that he said, okay, I've got some works for you to do. At least once a week, sometimes a couple times a week, Colton and I will sit in my office, our office now, and I'll say to Colton, hey, here's some things I want you to do this week. he will pull out a notebook and I'd like to get this, 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 and this done. Here you go. Now I may ask him, hey, did we get that done? Is that, but that's not my work. That's his work. I believe God has work for you. He has good works for us. Right. He, he's got them set aside. He created you unto good works. When God calls... Just like little Samuel, days gone by. Won't you answer? What do you want, Mark? Okay. You know why you don't want to answer? Because you don't want to do what God wants you to do. I know. You know why? Because I don't always want to do what God wants me to do. How do we walk in good works? By serving in every area. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity tonight to walk in the works that you've prepared for us. Lord, we could spend so long talking about the proofs of love that you have for us. Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I want to worship you tonight for your goodness and your love. As well, Lord, tonight I want us to walk in those works you have for us. Lord, I believe with all my heart tonight that you have prepared some works for every one of us. And Lord, a lot of them don't get done because you prepared them for us, for no one else. God, would you help us to be surrendered tonight? Help us to walk in them. Help us to surrender to sanctification. Help us to praise you for our redemption. God, may we walk in that love that you've proven over and over and over again in Scriptures. Lord, would you be glorified tonight during this time of invitation as we set aside some time just to worship you, to praise you, to yield to your purpose? May that be the case. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Remember the Colton. Let's
1: sing together. 301. Only trust in number 301. Come, every soul, I say.
0: you're so good to us Lord we offer our praise and our worship to you for you're worthy of it Lord may we do more than sing your praises may we do more than lift up your name in this place with our brothers and sisters in Christ may we publish your name among the heathen may we speak of your goodness every day may we be reminded of your love as we tell others of it. And God, may we find those works that you have for us. May we pick it up on our shoulder. And may we walk in that path and that plan that you have made just for us. How wonderful. That purpose. That fulfillment. Bless us now, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. There is asking and, asking and receiving. And our lesson today uh, is prayer is asking. Very simple thought, um, but really the profound thought of what prayer is as we get into that this morning. And I'm going to read several verses, uh, but I want you to look here with me first at Matthew 7.7. Matthew 7, verse 7, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek. And you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Verse 8, for everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. And let's pray this morning. Lord, as we pause on this Lord's Day morning to focus on prayer. God, I ask for your help. Would you help me to teach you right, your great truth? Would you work in every heart? Would you minister to the needs of every hearer, both here and those connected to your live stream? Lord, I pray that your will will be done in our hearts. And Lord, I'm so thankful Lord, the 2,000 years ago you would leave heaven And come to become flesh to dwell amongst us. To come to be our Savior. Lord, that we might have an eternity with you in heaven. Our sins forgiven. Lord, until I see you, until I am in your presence in heaven. Lord, how thankful we are that we have the wonderful privilege of prayer. Lord, I pray that you would answer our request this morning. Lord, that we would learn exactly what prayer is and that we would ask, we would obey you. Uh, bless us now in your precious name. We do pray. Amen. I want to read several verses very quickly uh, for you this morning, and I, I have them printed. I may be there in your notes, some of them. I ask, and it shall be given you. We saw uh, the Bible says, uh, For everyone that asketh, receiveth. We read that. John 16, 24, ask, and ye shall receive. James 4, 2, ye have not because ye ask not. Matthew 7, 11, how much more shall your Father that is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Matthew 21, verse 22, and all things what you soever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Luke 11, 13, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And then John fourteen fourteen, If ye shall ask anything in my name, I'll do it. I hope this morning you noticed a commonality in those verses. The Bible speaks of asking. And this morning I want us to realize and understand that prayer is asking. How many of you like to go window shopping? Any window shoppers here? I hate window shopping. Window shopping to me is absolutely, completely useless waste of time. I I can't go and look around and come back and say, "Oh, that was such a great day." Not me. I'd rather be dragged behind horses through a town full of cactus. Uh, I don't want to do that. Uh, I took uh, Hannah with me. We went shopping the other day. Uh, Went to pick up a couple things, a couple of gifts. Hannah was with me, and when we were done, she said, Dad, I like this kind of shopping. I go in, I run through the store, punch people out if they're in my way, get what I want, and then I get out of there. I'm done. I don't waste any time. Uh, I just want to go. That's what I want. Get out of there. The thought of going and just wandering around and looking at things. I know some of you are wired that way. You like that. Uh, There's something emotionally wrong with you. But I I can't do it. I I don't want to go window shopping. Now, my wife, she could go and go window shopping and be very happy about it. Uh, She could just go and look at things and never get anything for the purpose of just looking. Uh, Oftentimes, oftentimes prayer, many Christians, we treat prayer like window shopping. We go to prayer without the intent of asking for anything. We go to prayer without the intent of getting anything or receiving anything. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to go on my journey of prayer, and then I'm coming back, and that's like that window shopper. But that's not God's plan for prayer. Prayer is, by definition, as we see in Scripture, asking. We need to go to God with intention and specifically asking him, seeking, knocking, the Bible speaks about here in our text in Matthew chapter 7. We need to pray expecting to receive. Be kind of silly for me to be outside and say, Lord, send the rain, Lord, send rain, Lord, send rain, and not have an umbrella. Uh, prayer is God, I'm asking, and I'm expecting you to answer. James 4 says, You lust and have not ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Because we don't pray. We're going to talk about some things that aren't prayer in a moment, but understand prayer specifically is asking. We have not because we ask not. Uh, a couple of uh, words in your King James Bible that uh, we see the word uh, ask mentioned. That word ask in your Bible literally means uh, to uh, crave, to desire, to call for. And we see that picture here in prayer, that calling and asking and reaching forth and expecting God. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. So often we think that prayer is just a placebo effect. You know, maybe something will happen if I pray just because it makes me feel like you know, it's something's going to be added. But prayer definitely changes things, real prayer that is asking. The Bible says in Psalms, thou that hearest prayer. Hebrews 11, 6, a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Prayer. Dr. Harry Emerson Fodstick, he was a uh, wrote a book on the meaning of prayer. He a noted modernist, said this, There are some who still think of prayer in terms of childish supplication to a divine Santa Claus. Many foolish prayers are offered by the well-meaning but unintelligent with the excuse that they are childlike in their simple trust to pray as though God, he were Santa Claus, is childish. Childishness in prayer is chiefly evidence in an overweening desire to beg things from God. Can I tell you that man was an absolute reprobate doctrinally. He, he basically said there's no reason for us to pray and ask God for things. Can I tell you why he said that? Because he did not believe God would answer. He had no understanding of prayer. A man who dedicated his life and wrote a book on prayer who didn't even have the foundational understanding of what prayer was. He was an unbeliever that denied the virgin-born Son of God, and yet we see many Christians today. We have the same belief because our actions show forth our belief. We we don't believe God will answer prayer; otherwise, we would pray. We don't believe that God will answer or that prayer is asking because so often when we pray, we never get to the point of asking. uh, Josh's must be on their way. Uh, Be sure and harass them when they get here. But I remember when Josh asked me about uh, dating Rebecca, not when he asked to to marry her, when he asked to date Rebecca. He came to the church. I was here working on the building, and he said, Kate, can I meet you for coffee? I knew what was coming. And Saturday morning, he showed up. I was here early on a Saturday morning. We're talking, and we talked about everything under the sun. I mean, you name it, we talked about it. And I think he was just about to get to the point of asking when Darren showed up. And Darren was coming to help do some work. Darren's, on, Darren's in Saskatchewan now, I think. And, and then he talked some more, and finally I thought, man, I got I to gotta get him to the point of asking. I know where he's going with this. I said, hey, let's go upstairs. So we went upstairs, and we talked again for another hour about everything under the sun. And finally, finally, after forever, We got to the point of the conversation. I wonder how often God feels a little bit like I did several years ago. And we go to God and God's like, hey, (laughs) are you going to get to it? Are you going to ask me? But we forget that prayer is asking. Prayer is not meditation. It's not even adoration. We're going to get into some things in just a moment. It is asking God something. Number one in your notes this morning, prayer is not praise, adoration, meditation, humiliation, or confession, but asking. And we're going to talk about those other things, but I want to press on your mind and your heart this morning that prayer is, Specifically, is asking God for something. Prayer is not praise, although praise is blessed and we ought to praise God. But when it comes to prayer, actual praying is asking God. The Bible says, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. It's a wonderful thing to glorify God. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless uh, His holy name. Prayer is blessed, and we ought to, we ought, praise is blessed, and we ought to praise God. And Christian, we ought to praise Him more. But that's not prayer. Prayer is not adoration. We ought to, we ought to adore the Lord. We ought to worship Him. The angels do so. Uh, but that's not prayer. Prayer is always asking. Prayer is not meditation. We ought to meditate on the word. I grew up in a farming community, and we had a lot of Holstein cattle where I'm from, the black and white cows, uh, you know, the ones that, uh, the cartoon cow, that's the Holsteins, the ones that hold the sign that say, eat more chicken at Chick-fil-A in the U.S. Those cows, we had a lot of them around us, and I'd see those old Holsteins out by the fence, chewing their cud ruminating they'd eat the grass and they bring it back up out of their first stomach into their second stomach that's what this is this is my second stomach right here but they'd ruminate on it they would chew on it and they get all everything they could out of it God made them that way they're ruminant animals and God made them so they could extract all the nutrients out of that grass and all that feed And Christian, can I tell you, we ought to meditate. We ought to ruminate on Scripture, and we ought to think about God and think about the Word of God and get everything we can out of it. But that in and of itself is not prayer. Prayer is asking. We ought to meditate day and night, the Bible says, but that's not asking. Humiliation is not prayer. We should humble ourselves before God. I believe that when we come to God, we should be humbled and bring ourselves before Him, but that's not asking. James 4:10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Luke tells us, He that humbled himself shall be exalted. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. We see two distinct and separate things, they're humbling yourself and praying. Humiliation is one thing. Praying is another. And by the way, even confession. And by the way, we ought to confess to our God. And by the way, we, we have uh, no command to confess to men, uh, even if that man's were a dress like a mother and calls himself a father. Uh, we're not to confess to men, but we are to confess to God. But that confession is not prayer. Daniel 9 says, and I prayed unto the Lord my God. And, he said he prayed and made my confession. Daniel prayed and confessed. Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Notice here that thanksgiving is separate from prayer. We ought to thank God. We ought to be praising God. But that is separate from prayer itself, which is asking. So when God invites us to pray, and God does invite us to pray. Christian, he wants you to pray. He said, ask me. I want you to ask me. You have not because you ask not. We ought to pray. Understand what prayer is not. Number two in your notes this morning, we see that Bible prayers, Bible prayers, we're asking Bible prayers we're asking we've gotten to the point where you know we think some false religious pseudo religious uh, heretical uh, cult who writes a book called a book of common prayer or a book of prayers like that we think that's what prayer is can I tell you? you can burn those because that's not prayer you can look in the Scripture and find some Bible prayers and models of prayers, but Bible prayers were always asking. By the way, the, the best example we have in the Bible is Jesus. Jesus was asked by the disciples, hey, teach us to pray. That passage many people wrongly call the Lord's Prayer. Now, I'm not going to get mad at you over it, but it's not the Lord's Prayer. It is the model prayer, the way the Lord taught them to pray. My Lord never had to pray that prayer, ever. He never had to say, Father, forgive me, never. It was, it was his model. Hey, fellas, here's how I want you to pray. In that little snippet of a model prayer that the Lord taught the disciples a pattern of prayer, it wasn't use these words, it was a pattern of prayer. We see, hallowed be thy name. He said before that, after this manner, this this is the way you ought to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven. And then it goes on to say there, hallowed be thy name. In other words, fellas, ask God that you would keep his name, his name above every name. Ask God that he would help you to reverence him. Prayer is asking. The next request we find in that prayer Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Understand, when Jesus taught them to pray, he taught them to ask God for things. It's a prayer asking, Lord, come again. I'm looking for your coming. We have that prayer of asking. His reign on the earth, Revelation 22, Even so come, Lord Jesus. In that same model prayer, we see the words, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, Jesus said, hey, when you pray, ask God to take care of your needs. Take care of my needs, Lord. Lord, I, I need provision. God, can you do that? And God can. God wants to. We ask him. Prayer is asking. We see forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Another asking. Lead us not into temptation, asking the Lord. Lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. Prayer is always asking. We see the model prayer of Christ as he teaches the disciples how to pray is a prayer of asking. And then follows a straightforward argument here. as to why our Heavenly Father can give us these things. And should do it. In that prayer, it says, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In other words, Lord, I know you can answer these prayers. I know you can give me what I've asked because you're able, because of who you are. The Lord's prayer is a petition all the way. Throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, we have Jesus talking about prayer. In one passage, it says, it's like a man who knocks on a door and says, Hey, give me some loaves. Give me some bread. A few months before, Josh asked about dating Rebecca. I was working here in the building late at night. We were just starting renovations. <laughs> I was here, and I think Darren was here. We were. It was late night, and the front door was open. And we didn't realize the front door was open, and somebody wandered in off the street. And they came in looking around, and when they saw me, I scared them. And they tried to make up a reason for why they were in the building. And they said, "Uh, oh, you got any bread? (laughs) So to this day, every once in a while, Darren, when he sees me, he'll be like, hey, you got any bread? (laughs) When you go to the door... Hey, you got any bread? That's a beautiful picture of prayer. Beautiful picture of prayer. As God gives us that picture. Most prayer mentioned in the New Testament are elementary building block examples of that asking of prayer. The publican prayed, be merciful to me, a sinner. He asked God for the mercy Peter, about to sink in the waters of Galilee, cried out, Lord, save me, as he asked. Prayer is asking. Biblical prayers were asking. Blind Bartimaeus, as he's by the roadside and he's shaking his cup and begging for alms, he finds out Jesus is coming. And blind Bartimaeus doesn't begin to say some flowery words and speak about God. He prays. What does he do? He says, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. He asks for mercy. He begs for mercy. And we see that God answered that prayer. And then more definitely he prayed, not just, Lord, have mercy on me. He goes on in his prayer to say, Lord, that I might receive my sight. He was definite. In asking God for an answer to prayer, the thief on the cross prayed for salvation when he said, Lord, remember me, remember me. The Canaanitish woman prayed in Matthew 15, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. And again she prayed, Lord, help me. Prayer, Christian, understand, is asking. Prayer is asking. The only prayer that you'll find in this Bible in the New Testament, the only example of a prayer that was not asking was a prayer that was not heard by God. The Bible says of the Pharisee that he prayed thus with himself and he talked about how good he was and how wonderful he was and he probably used some Fancy words. And God did not hear him. He was not praying. He was speaking with himself. Prayer is asking. By the way, when we don't, when we don't ask God for things, a lot of times we're just talking to ourselves or we're talking to other people and not God. God's able to do everything. Question for you, do you ask God for anything? When's the last time you said, God, I, Lord, I have a need? Oh, no, I don't have to do that. I can take care of my need. God wants us to talk to him, wants us to ask him. God wants us to pray. I like going for drives once in a while. Most of the time I'm busy and I want to go somewhere and get there and get back. But every once in a while I can slow down a little bit. And I like to just drive around and see something. On Thursday, we drove to southern Alberta. And we were down in the town of Rosebud, and we spent the day there and the night there. And the next morning, we got up, and we were driving to head back. And as we got into Drumheller to go home, I would turn left at the T to head north to head back towards Edmonton. But I said, hey, I said, let's go down to the, hoodoos so i turned right and we went down to the hoodoos and uh, walked and climbed on the hill and took some pictures and just drove around and saw some sights and enjoyed it we know what it is to go on a just to drive and just to go and see and to relax and go see something but prayer is not that vehicle prayer is a vehicle a truck uh, that goes straight to the warehouse and says, God, hey, fill it up. God, I need something. God, I, I have a need. I, I am coming to you asking you, God, fill that need. That's what prayer is. Prayer is asking. Bible prayers were asking. Number three. Number three in your notes, we see hypocrisy in so-called praying that does not ask for something. Hypocrisy in so-called praying that does not ask for something. May I say that oftentimes we say we pray, but we never get to asking God anything. By the way, many prayers made in Bible-believing churches Are not asking, they're just going through the motions, saying some words, trying to impress. By the way, you want to impress God, and God doesn't want us to impress men. Sometimes there's elements of honest prayer, but it's not always prayer, because prayer is asking. Many people in public prayer never really ask. We we can exhort people, we can encourage people, and I think we should do all those things. But when it comes to prayer, prayer is asking God for something. When we come to pray, we need to understand that we are going with the intention to our God to ask. To ask from Him what we can't do. To ask from Him what no one else can do to ask the God who is perfect and holy, who is all-powerful, to do what only an all-powerful God can do. We, Dr. John R. Rice, the man who wrote the book, we're using it as a bit of a syllabus for this lesson, told the story of when he was an old man, he had a dream. He said he dreamed he went to heaven. And when he got to heaven, he's walking around heaven and someone's giving him a tour of heaven and he saw a big warehouse in heaven. I hope I don't have to live near the warehouse district in heaven. I want to live, you know, kind of near the the river of life somewhere. But so said he saw a big warehouse. So close to the point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Saw a warehouse there. And he asked the angel to give him a tour. Hey, What's in there? I said, oh, you don't want to go there. He said, no, I, I'm curious. Now i got to know what's there. Take me and show me that warehouse. And he said it in his dream, by the way, nothing more than a dream, he, he went in the, this warehouse building, and there's all these boxes, and they're all tied up with ribbons like presents, little ones, big ones, whole warehouse filled with presents. And he asked the question, what are all these presents? What are all these things? And he said, the angel said to me, and as I imagined in my dream, these are all the gifts that God wanted to give you that you never asked him for. Can I tell you that God wants us to ask. God, God wants us every time we come to him to ask him because he wants to meet our needs. Everyone that asketh, the Bible says receiveth. You have not because you ask. No. Isaiah forty four three, I'll pour a water on him that is thirsty. Asking comes from a thirst from the heart. Asking comes from a thirst from the heart. Mark eleven, twenty four says, What well, things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. The heart's desire is the heart of honest prayer. We need to realize that God wants us to come to Him. God God wants us to ask Him. God wants us to go to Him with the understanding that we want something from Him. Years ago, when I came to Canada, 18 and a half years ago, I decided that I was going to to try to go hunting here in our province. And I had the opportunity to hunt for the biggest deer species in the world, known as the moose. And the very first time I went moose hunting, I was using a a longbow, and I drove north near Rochester, Alberta, And I went to go hunting for moose. Can I tell you what I was driving that day? I drove a Chevy Sprint. (laughs) (laughs) And as I'm driving north to go hunting, I thought to myself, how in the world am I going to make this happen? I had a plan. Yeah. (laughs) I got the moose, so I was going to put a uh, couple of legs in the back, a couple of legs in the front, tie the head on top. But even then, I wasn't sure. Now, can I tell you, when we go to pray, so often, so often we, we drive our little Chevy Sprint to God and say, God, I want big answers to prayer. God, I, we don't expect it. We don't expect it. We need to go in prayer expecting expecting God to answer, looking for an answer, because prayer is asking. That, that is the component that must be in prayer. Prayer is asking. Too much of our prayer is like the incandation of a witch doctor, going through some ritual, saying some words, some modern rites from a modern cult. That, that's most of our prayer. They may have rhyme. They may have some elegance. They may have some aesthetic form, and they may sound wonderful. But there's no prayer. There's no asking. There's no going to God with the understanding, God, I. this is what I need. This is what I'm asking you for. The modern tendency is to you know, try to make prayer sound wonderful, even in some some churches. And, you know, when someone's praying, they got to have an organ playing, and music playing, and, and there's never asking. We need to seek something from God. I know that most businesses are going to be closed the next couple of days, but in a week or two, if you need some groceries, you drive to the grocery store, you're not going to walk into the grocery store and say, this is a beautiful grocery store. It's some of the best produce I've ever seen. It's, man, look at the floors in this grocery store. Look at the, look at the frozen department. Look at those vegetables. Look, look at the bread. All this, At least this shopping cart is so wonderful. And then walk out the store. <laughs> We're not going to do that. What are we going to do? Oh, yeah, I need the bread. I need some milk. We're going to go to get what we need. Christian, when you go to God, understand that God wants you to ask him. God wants us to use prayer as a tool to receive what he has for us. May we go to God asking what we want. May we go home and pray and say, God, I've got some needs. So often we complain. So often we get miserable and. People say, how are you doing? Oh, it's just terrible. Uh, I got this and this. Here's the question. Have you asked God about it? Have you prayed? Prayer is simply asking. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we ask you to help us in this matter of prayer. Lord, help us to to get down to the bare bones of